Welcome to episode 20 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azagari. And this past July, Back to the Future reached its 35th anniversary. Oh boy. And at the 58th Academy Awards, it was up for four nominations, taking home one win, and that's Best Sound Effects. Connor, I think if it were up to you, it would have been up for what, 10, 15? Yeah, this would have dominated the Oscars in 86, because this is, in case you've been living under a rock, listener, my all-time favorite movie ever, bar none. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's fantastic. You know, I knew all along when the show started that when we got to this year, it was a no-brainer. We got to choose Back to the Future, this brilliant piece of American cinema that really, when I say that, the way it pops, the way it moves, the tempo of it is so entertaining and so watchable, so rewatchable. And I had the pleasure of, you know, watching it just for the second time in my entire life. Uh, just, you know, yesterday, if you're listening to this two days ago. Um, and man, I was obviously thinking about you the whole time and how this is a movie that's been with you since you were kind of born. Uh, and so I want to open up that door a little bit. You know, I mean, this movie, if you don't know anything about it, I mean, come on, you're right. This is one of the biggest movies in American history. Back to the Future 1985 uh, made $250 million. You know, like, come on, like, this is this is a big deal. It was the top number one box office uh, in sales that year and ahead of Rambo 2. <laughs> and uh, at the 58th Academy Awards, you know, picked up four nominations and a win. And therefore, it makes the cut for this show. Uh, certainly could be on filmgasm, but we want to take this movie really seriously because that's what it deserves. And I felt that putting it through this lens gives even you an opportunity to watch it in a different way, yep. which is so special because you've seen it how many times? Over 200 at least. I've been watching this movie my entire life. I honestly don't know. I could quote the script by memory. It's just one yeah. of those pieces. It feels like a piece of me at this point. And, man, where do I even start? <laughs> Will you start with, what do you, when do you remember this becoming what it is, your favorite movie? Because that's so difficult, right? To, obviously, your top fives and your top tens change, but your favorite, and you're saying bar none, it's been there. How, how long have you known that? When did it become that? And how have you known for sure for so long that that's it? Um... Well, I'll answer that by saying this. My earliest memory of my life is, I'm pretty sure it was my third or fourth birthday. I got Back to the Future Part 2 on tape. And it blew my mind that there was a sequel to this and a sequel to that. And I had three of these amazing films to watch. Mm -hmm. So I think from there, it was my favorite movie. When I realized I had a franchise on my hands here and I could just throw myself into this amazing world of time travel and adventure... And it's such an optimistic movie. It really is about fixing your, like, you know, overcoming your difficulties, embracing your confidence, learning, you know, discovering who you are on a grand scale. And I, th I think that's relatable to a lot of people. I think that's why a lot of people come to this. Because, you know, at first, when we first meet Marty, he's an insecure kid who's, yeah. you know, struggling with his desire to do music, but doesn't believe he's good enough to do it. His parents are flawed. His brother and sister are in dead-end jobs. And he just is, he has kind of a shitty life. But through this yeah. adventure, he learns who his parents were and who they can be. He learns who, you know, how to embrace his confidence and really become his own person after this incredible life-changing adventure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It's so amazing because as time goes on, you know, and you're 
these timeless characters, you know, I, Rick and Morty. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know, as, as, as time goes on and moves along and you point out the optimistic thing, that's, I think you really nailed something there because the way I interpreted it when I was watching it was not only, not only to like, you know, look inward and try to be the best you can be, but what I took from it most that I like that I loved the message is fucking participate in life, buy the ticket, take the ride. Don't be afraid to make decisions. Don't be afraid to fucking do something. Uh, and, and Marty does that like continuously make, he, that's like the whole thing, right? Is especially with this first one. And we're, we're going to save those other two. We're going to do those, you know, the 1989 and 1990 part two and three. And uh, we're really going to be honing in on this film. And talking about the 58th Academy Awards, which there's all kinds of shit going on there. <laughs> and, and and we're going to have our own awards, right? Which is going to be so difficult for you, Connor. <laughs> because you have to pin down just a few scenes. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough to really narrow down what I really, really love about this movie. Yeah. But I think I've I've done my best. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, I do think that the, that optimism, that feel good, it... I don't want people to take that the wrong way or to think that it's just an eighties feel good movie. Cause that's not how I interpret it. I, 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 it is that. And it, it moves like, it moves like movie magic. It's like that. It is that term. It's just so Hollywood. So it just moves like, man, that's how American cinema, Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, you know, these guys, George Lucas, they just knew what they were doing at that time. They just knew how to take care of the set and take us on a fucking ride. And that's such a beautiful part of like the seventies and eighties, you know, is uh, that adventure aspect of it. You talked about all three of them. That's basically six hours of you being able to escape your entire life into this, to this place. Like you said, to time travel and laugh and cry and all these different things, these different emotions that, that really is what you go to cinema for. It kind of does all those things. It really does. I mean, you know, the first one you, you had brought up that, uh, it inspired you to kind of, you know, want to take charge of life. Yeah. Participate. Yeah, participate. Yeah, yeah. And two and three really kind of hammer those home. Cause there's a mm-hmm. line at the end of the third movie that I've been thinking about. It's after all their adventures are done. Doc has built his new time machine and is going to go, uh, you know, forth with his wife and kids and just kind of have their own adventures. And Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer asks him about a letter she had from the future. That's now erased because of their actions. Yeah. And he's, and she says, you know, it was erased. What does that mean? You know, and he says, it means that nobody's future is written. You, you make your own future. And what you should try to do is make it a good one. Mm. And I've always taken that to heart. Yeah. And like this movie has taught me more about life than anything else. These movies. To just, yeah, to, to grab, grab, you know, take it by the balls. Like be serious, do something, you know, participate, be. Enjoy it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It always takes me back to, you know, the Hunter S. Thompson, buy the ticket, take the ride, that whole philosophy of just get on board man like get on board and do it and that certainly has influenced so much of what's followed in 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 film that that aspect that optimism that tenacity and how it just follows so much with you know popular popular cinema this movie this movie's at 35 years old it's still just kicking like it's brand new you know and that there's something to say about that I do want to bring up some fundamentals of the movie before we keep praising it. Okay. Obviously, this is your favorite film. Yeah. And, you know, you come to it, right? You know, you had to watch Magnolia. It's three hours. (laughs) Magnolia is my favorite movie ever, so. 
you had to do that. <laughs> and that's not easy. And it's also not an easy movie to, you know, just throw on on a Tuesday, right? It's a, it's a heavy one. And I always appreciate when someone watches that movie because I'm like, oh, what did you think? How did you interpret it? What do you think it's about? Which character did you like? Uh, or did you not like any of them? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's the answer. But, but when someone does that, you know, you feel the same way when you're doing it right when you're watching it. And, you know, it's, it's in reverse. And when I'm watching it, I'm thinking about how this has been your favorite movie for so long. And how, of course, when you watch it over and over, there's going to be times where you're like, oh, but is there with this movie? Is there anything to you? To me, it moves. It moves incredibly well. The music is is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. The performances are pretty kick-ass. The message, obviously, is amazing. But there's that thing in the plot with the mom and the son. What do you think about it? As, okay. t- as time has gone on. Yeah. And you can take as much time as you need to just to to because it's it's weird, but it's also to me it's not something that should hold anybody back from really diving into to, to these films. I think the way that Zemeckis and Gale wrote it is very smart. I think they could have made this you know Revenge of the Nerds style mm-hmm. nasty, mm-hmm. but they didn't. They made it you know smart and kind of you know weirdly cute. Yeah. I mean, on a first watch, it is a tough one to sell, admittedly. You know, kid goes back in time, and his mom falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. Weird. Very weird. Very fucked up. Uh, you know, thankfully, nothing happened. In the original, there's an unfortunate deleted scene of this movie that I'm so glad they cut out, because it would not have made this film age well. <laughs> it's when Marty is trying to kind of come to terms with what he has to do to Lorraine in order to get her to attack him so that George can come in and be the hero. Yes. He's got to feel her up. And he tells Doc, quote, what if I do this and in the future I turn gay? Whoa. That. That's a deleted scene. That's a deleted scene where Marty is concerned he's going to end up gay if he does this. Shout out to whoever deleted that one. Thank God. Because this film would have that one just glaringly bad bit. And (laughs) that that must have been, you think that's Spielberg just like, hey, guys. Um, I have a movie called The Color Purple coming out. You fucking morons. I can't be doing this. That's contradicting. I can't be doing this shit. Producing this movie and then directing this one. Come on, guys. It might have been that. It honestly might have just been cut for time. That's probably (laughs) the more realistic one, which is sad. This was the 80s. Yes. Oh, yeah. Shit was flying. I mean, talk (laughs) about, you know, one of my favorite things about this movie is is the use of the word shit. (laughs) And I think it does it really well for a PG movie. You know, when you look back at the 70s and 80s and they're, how lenient they are on stuff and the Indiana Jones movies sometimes take it. You're like, whoa, this is what? And this one did it a couple times. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I, sometimes the, the use of shit, it's my favorite curse word. So <laughs> I had a blast with that. And Marty's, Marty's very good at using that word. He is, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad Michael J. Fox was able to make his schedule work because they had gone with Eric Stoltz. <laughs> yeah, I- Dude, <laughs> watching it now? Oh, no. Well, they filmed a good chunk with Eric Stoltz, and I've seen that. I've seen those clips. He is terrible. Yeah. He brings no just, you know, witty charm, no innocence to the role. He's just too serious. And they couldn't get Michael J. Fox because he was a very he was very busy with Family Ties at the time. Oh, yeah. And thankfully, the producers of Family Ties were able to work something out so that Fox could do Back to the Future during the day, Family Ties at night, or yes. vice versa. And Eric Stoltz was given the boot. They're like, dude, you, look, you're great, but you, you, you're you not working. <laughs> they just 
They kicked his ass off. This set. isn't gonna fly. Well, and you know, and it doesn't become what it is. It doesn't make over two hundred million dollars. No. It doesn't. It doesn't become this icon. It doesn't get up for Oscars. It doesn't become your favorite movie. You know, uh, Michael J. Fox certainly is what makes the wheel turn, and especially at the beginning of the film. And then when you realize, this is something that kind of shocked me was how how many gaps there are with no Christopher Lloyd. How many gaps in the first one there are where you really are relying on Jay Fox, and certainly that actor has to be above par. Yeah, and he is. And I, I asked you, I was like, "How old do you think he was?" And he's like, "In his, you were like, oh, 19 or 20. He was in his mid twenties when he, this movie came out, and he pulls off a seventeen year old like he does it. He actually does it. Yeah, there's. I never questioned it once. Movie magic, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood, love it. Uh, the, I agree with you. I think. First watch, especially if you're not totally paying attention, yeah, the that can throw you off. The plot line of the of the mom the being attracted, ne- the very near incest, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I can see how someone might, someone might be like, "Oh man, what what's this about, or what's going on here?" But I I didn't. I was like, no, and I I remembered. I was like, no, it doesn't really. It's obviously a part of the plot, and it's so interesting because he has to turn her on to his future dad. Right. And that's the whole thing. It's like a fucking family guy episode. <laughs> and and that's, that's the whole thing. And for that to work. And it kind of does make sense in my head that a girl, any girl in that town would be attracted to a guy like that. Like, right. I mean, look at him. He's like, look at the Nikes he's wearing. Well, I love the yeah. way they do it. Is it's well, not... at first he's wearing different clothes, yeah. but, but there is a time where it's like he's wearing that vest, and you're like, look at this guy. Yeah. Look at the life preserver. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was funny. Yeah. yeah. Dork thinks he's going to drown. Yeah. Like a little bit. But um, <laughs> Dork thinks he's going to drown. The way they did it was, you know, Lorraine doesn't just fall in love with Marty because he's hot. She falls in love with him because it's exactly the same way she fell in love with George. Her dad hit him with the car. He ends, you know, she nurses him back to health, and it's a Florence Nightingale thing. Yes. So it doesn't make Lorraine a crazy slut. It just makes Marty inconvenient. <laughs> like I said, well, the way Zemeckis and Gale did this was really smart. And again, f- from her, like from her perspective, how the fuck is she supposed to know this guy traveled thirty years back in time? Although she does have that realization moment where she kisses him, she's like, "I don't know what's up, but something is wrong." Yeah, yeah, that, that like, <laughs> do I know you from a different life? And you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, <laughs> and then it's like a lost episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the real question is. How did George react where when one day he and Lorraine had a kid who looked exactly like the weird teenager that uh, Lorraine was in love with when they were in high school? <laughs> like, hmm. that, yeah, that's very interesting. And if they love the name Marty, why did they wait till their third kid to use it? <laughs> they were sure. They were sure about having, having more. I always wonder if Marty one day sat his parents down and explained this whole adventure to them. Yeah, kind of like, uh, again, I'll like shout out to Rick and Morty when Morty's like, I had to bury myself out there. That's me. You see that? That's me. Yeah, explaining, yeah, like, he, he, doctor gets, doc gets shot. Yeah. Gets shot by terrorists. Oh, yeah. It's a horror movie for a second. It's like, (laughs) it's like an Indiana Jones movie, actually. It's more like an action, like, thriller, like, whoa, what the fuck? It does come out of nowhere. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. And that this movie does that where it's kind of fucking with genres coming of age doing a, do, doing a little bit of the sci-fi doing a little bit of action doing a little bit of comedy it's an american grab bag <laughs> and and really essential if you want to understand 
If you want to understand the past five decades of American cinema, this movie is essential. Well, and also, how crazy is it that our introduction to Doc is as a fucking plutonium thief who ripped off terrorists? I mean, yeah. I, mean I love, the, I, I, I love the <laughs> intro of yeah, of all the stuff, the clocks, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, that that part is amazing and very like, oh, this is quirky and weird. This is a movie and made all this money. Fuck yeah! You know? This is a movie that has so many bizarre, unfilmable elements, but it comes together in this perfect, like tapestry of brilliance that works every time. I don't know how it works, yeah, but it does. And it's, it speaks to Robert Zemeckis, I think, as a filmmaker. He is so good at making these unique, weird tales. And Back to the Future is the movie that finally put him on the map because he had done used cars. Yeah. yeah. Romancing the Stone. That's mm-hmm. the film that finally got Back to the Future sold. Nobody mm-hmm. believed in this. They'd been trying to sell this for years. Yeah. And then Romancing the Stone was a hit, and Spielberg took a chance on these guys. Yeah, which, you know, we've talked a bit about him on this show, and of course on Film Jasm. Spielberg's hand throughout the 70s and 80s might, might just be the most important hand in American movies. Oh, yeah. Period. It, I actually don't know if there's much of an argument for those decades, he is he's uber important uh, in his his guidance of other people, um, giving other people opportunities, buying fucking statues and donating them to museums, and then making amazing movies himself. You know, the guy the guy's a hero. He really is a hero. And when you see his name, it, it really is genius with the clocks. And you see his name, Steven Spielberg presents a Robert Zemeckis film. You know, it's like. You get chills. I get chills. And this movie is not even a movie I've seen that many times. I've seen it twice. But it has that effect. And it has that like, oh man, I'm watching a classic. <laughs> you can feel it. You can feel it. And again, I think you feel it the same way you feel Indiana Jones. You, There's something there that is, that's, that's like the Hollywood sparkle. It's like that little sprinkle of whatever dust they put on some of their shit. And it just works. And I, I think it's, yeah, Spielberg and Zemeckis. I think that's that dust. Oh, yeah, they're the dust. Spielberg had his, you know, not just the films he directed, but the films he produced, the films yeah. that were allowed to be made because he saw potential in them, mm-hmm. you know, films like The Goonies. Yeah, exactly. Like, po- you know, Poltergeist, right? Yeah. You know, we have interesting thoughts about that one, but right, like, he obviously had a hand in it, you know, in one way or another. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I think he is the single most important film icon of the 80s and the 70s, and I think the 90s, too. Yeah, an argument can be made that it keeps going. And, you yeah. know, I, 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 we're not stupid, you know. I, very much, you know, we, I, we're saying American. It's We very much understand what Hitchcock has done for the landscape of all genres Yeah. Uh, before and, uh, and for British film. But as far as, yeah, more contemporary, and especially for the more modern Oscars, right, and, and sci-fi and genre films getting in, Spielberg is that guy. 100%. He is that guy who can get you there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad that Zemeckis had that meeting with him. Otherwise oh, we yeah. wouldn't have gotten films like who framed Roger rabbit and exactly. De- death becomes her Castaway, the polar express. Like this guy is so good. I fucking love Zemeckis. He's in my top five favorite directors. Yeah. Oh boy. That's a list. <laughs> That'd be a cool episode. It would. It would be a cool. Episode. That's so difficult. You know, and it's like, it's like making your top five movie. It's like, what changes all the time? I can't really pin it down, <laughs> but you can pin down that very, very favorite, you know, and for you, it's definitely this movie. And I, I, I do want to talk about, uh, again, we're going to praise this movie a bunch today. 
and we're going to have our awards and we'll bring those up soon. But I, I do want to talk about the 58th Academy Awards a bit yeah. and go through its actual nominations, which, which is four and the one win. I, I almost watched this entire award show and uh, I don't know if I, if I would recommend people watch it. You can, if you want to like fact check me, go for it. Um, Jane Fonda, Alan Alda and Robin Williams are hosting it. It's uh, in 1986 in Los Angeles talking about the films in 1985. And the opening is um, Alan Alda and Jane Fonda at center stage. And they're Alan Alda is saying, you know, I don't even know how to go about this, to be honest. He's saying stuff like, let's welcome uh, the Philippine audience. And then it goes to Robin Williams and he says something like, thank you, come again. And my God. Um, then he goes to the next one and the next one and the next one in French. And you know, and he, Robin Williams is making noises and people are laughing. Alan Alda's got this shit-eating grin and Jane Fonda's just kind of standing there. And I was fucking disgusted you know obviously does not age well and it's something i felt like should be brought up uh, because throughout this show i don't know their names uh, i should have i should have written them down the the gentleman who actually won an award for back to the future they get on stage and they're professionalized fuck <laughs> and they they accept their award and they, honestly you might just want to look it up if you're an oscar fan um just for shits and giggles it's it's a shit show and it's, and it's a disaster. And you compare it to like what happens today and how people complain about what happens today. You're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, don't even go back and watch some of those. Yeah. Seventies and eighties and nineties ones. And you'll see some shit. And this one's certainly and uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be afraid to call out my heroes. And Rob Williams is one of my heroes when it comes to movies. And I know he's one of yours, Connor. Yeah. But this disgusted me. Like, it made me kind of sick when I heard him doing these interpretations of these different people, clearly making fun of massive communities that have a significant role in movies around the world. And that pissed me off. It pissed me off, but I kept watching. I was like, I want to keep going. I want to see the... I want to see how it kind of works. I, I I do that occasionally. I don't do it every week for the show, but occasionally I'll look on YouTube and this one had it in 28 parts. Oh. So I just kind of threw it on and I was, I was reading and, but I got, I got kind of, you know, warped in cause I was like, this is so messed up, you know, and I, I had to bring it up. Uh, I thought it'd be foolish to just kind of let things slide. I think that's why we have so many issues. People let too many things slide and that that's just not going to slide on the show, right? <laughs> We haven't let things slide before on film guys or Oscar Sunday. And uh, why start now? Love Ryan Williams to death. We did a whole show, a whole episode here on Oscar Sunday about dead poet society, but that, that doesn't fly. That doesn't age. Well, doesn't look cool. Should have been able to see at the time that this is not cool either. So that, that sucks. But I will say for your favorite movie, back to the future, those two gentlemen were lovely and they accepted their award and just kind of said, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And, and just got off the stage. Well, well, the rest of it was kind of a shit show. Well, I mean, you know, this was a, a time where Robin Williams built his whole shtick on weird ethnic voices. Yes. So I can see why he would just kind of default to that. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it's fucked up. And uh, <laughs> it's, I'm glad that we are able to see it now, like, you know, still today, so we can learn from it. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. like, don't do that shit again. Yeah. But... Honestly, not. I'm not surprised 
No, I wasn't. I, I wasn't too much either. You know, I, again, I've watched some of these videos and I've seen, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat of, you know, with like stand up comedy, if someone's saying something offensive to you, well then leave the show or turn it off or whatever. Don't go to the comedy show, that kind of attitude. But here is like, this is the Oscars. Like, yeah, let's have some, a little bit of class. Like yeah. I love comedy. I love laughing, but let's, let's be like a little respectful, especially like when the, the best foreign language film is like a new category. Let's fucking calm down, you know? Oof. Thankfully, it's, this is Oscar Sunday, but we are not going <laughs> to, we are not going to be afraid to bash the Academy. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad back to the future, you know, is not that tied to that Oscars. Yeah, no, they, they, they're rep- they were represented really well. Yeah, thank God. Uh, as, I, as I almost watched the entire, like, two and a half hour fucking show. Yeah. <laughs> well, we decided, because Back to the Future was up for four awards. Yes. Um, its biggest nomination being for screenplay. We decided to... The biggest, biggest, and we do this, but it's clear in this case. Yes. When we say biggest, obviously best picture is biggest, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Meaning the rest of them are technical. Yes. But we decided. That's, I just. I, I. That's not to say that they're not important. That's you know. <laughs> no, what I mean? of course not. I mean, we we fucking chose Fight Club, yeah. which had one technical nomination. We care. We care about these movies. True, but anybody who knows about the Oscars knows the hierarchy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Picture, <laughs> actors, director, screenplay, uh-huh. everything else. Uh, <laughs> and then if you're like us, what about cinematography? <laughs> <laughs> that's right under screenplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But. We disavowed Best Picture this year. We decided to focus mainly on the five films up for screenplay. Yes. So you will not hear us talk about Out of Africa, The Color Purple, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Pritzi's Honor. You will hear us talk about Witness, though, because that was up for screenplay. Yes. But uh, next time we come to the 1985 Oscars, we will probably talk about one of these five films. For, for, sh- for sure. And it's it's going to be difficult to choose. Uh, wa- watching Witness, not too huge on it, so I'm not going to choose that, but... I think we'd have fun with Pritzi's Honor. Ah, Angelica Houston is stellar, and I would love, love, love to see that one. And if we want to get really sad and guilty, we could do The Color Purple. Uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman, I've heard, is bizarre, but William Hurt is amazing. So honestly, any of these... I don't want to do Out of Africa, because I've heard that's like the worst movie to ever win Best Picture. It's 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 all right. Yeah, it's not very good. I mean, the performances are fine because you got a couple of like you know just goats out there. But the, yeah, as a movie, it's all right. <laughs> it's not as bad as Driving Miss Daisy, I don't think. Okay, well, that's uh, not saying much. It's close. Yeah, <laughs> it's in that bottom tier. Damn. Well, uh, do you want to get into the uh, the awards that Back to the Future was up for? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, all right, let's start with Best Original Song. Oh boy. So we have. Surprise, surprise from A Chorus Line. Separate Lives from White Knights. The Power of Love from Back to the Future. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Miss Sally's Blues from The Color Purple. And the winner, Say You, Say Me from White Knights. Um, I have not seen these other four films, but you know where I stand on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have much, uh, much to say about these either. Um, the Color Purple. I'm not huge into it. I don't think it's, um, I'm not, I don't think it's, you know, like not aged well or something, but, but as far as entertainment goes, uh, that's those kinds of stories have been told, I think stronger. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that's a bad movie. I I really am not. I, uh, I just praise Spielberg for a good while and I do think it's good, but, um, I don't know, man, when you're talking about best picture nominations, I, I just don't know if that one or out of Africa belong. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, power of love. Come on. 
the power of love is still played on the radio all the time. It's, yes. it's in karaoke bars. It's like There's a, people who haven't seen the movie who just like yeah. know the whole, every word to this song. And I would have also accepted a nomination for back in time, the closing song at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that, I think that's what should have happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, hopefully we can see those other films in the, in the future, just like we want to see every film. But, exactly. Uh, back to the future definitely has a strong horse. So we have uh, best sound, which evolved into best sound mixing. I never liked best sound. Such a vague statement. Very. <laughs> never really. Very. It always sounded like a fake award. Yeah. Like, and their sound was good. We, be- we won best sound. <laughs> what? Uh, we have Silverado, Lady Hawk, A Chorus Line, Back to the Future, and the winner, Out of Africa. So yeah, just uh, take uh, the winner down and put Back to the Future there. When it comes to... <laughs> When it comes to sound design, Back to the Future fucking kills it. Yeah, that's that's part of the whole thing, yeah. Sound design and visual effects. This movie is unmatched. For 85, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of unparalleled for that time. And that takes us to sound editing, the f- award that it did win, up against Lady Hawk and Rambo First Blood Part 2. And uh, That's great, because those are the two <laughs> highest grossing films of the year against Lady Hawk. I have seen Rambo 2. Better than most people tend to think it is. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I did go through a phase where I kind of like watched them all, you know. Yeah. Caleb made me sit down and watch all four Rambo movies. Rambo. Before there was a fifth. Yes, yes. And uh, I thought three of them were good. I thought Rambo three was shit. But one, two, and four are pretty good. They kind of kind of. They bleed. They bleed. Yeah. I agree. They get jumbled up there for, for, for my old brain. The first one's in the woods. The second one's in Nam. The third ah, one's. Ah, yeah, yeah. That's So this is the one yeah. that's in Nam. Yeah, the 1985. Makes sense. Or maybe the third one's in Russia, I don't fucking remember. Yeah, you're right, they bleed. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, killing it. But I'm happy the Back to the Future did take home something. Because it should have taken home a lot more. But we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so Charles L. Campbell and Robert Rutledge are the two guys who accepted That's, that. Those are the gentlemen I'm talking about. I, I even think I texted you. I was like, Charles Campbell and Robert Rutledge. Good for them. This <laughs> shit show got saved by gentlemen like them. There, there were a few other... Uh, Folks who won, who were, who were cool about it. And I'm mainly talking about the host and just how it moved and that opening bit. Yeah, that would that would put a damper. Can you imagine if that happened now? Oh, that, that's that, that's what I'm, Well, it would get shut down. Like, Twitter would crash. People would fucking... Well, fuck, the Oscars would get good numbers because people would be like, oh, I have to tune in. Like, what the fuck is going on? They might fucking end the Oscars over that shit. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, it, yeah, it would crash. My God. <laughs> So that takes us to Best Original Screenplay, the five films that we decided to focus on Ooh. for this episode. Oh, boy. We have The Purple Rose of Cairo, The Official Story, Brazil, Back to the Future, and the winner, Witness. Hell yeah. Let's start with, let's, let's start with Woody. Um, so I had seen this one before, but you hadn't. No. Uh, but it felt very fresh to me. And Woody Allen is certainly someone that we, we intend on talking about on this show and opening up that can of worms someday, but, but for now we're just going to talk about Cairo and the film itself. And I I mean, I, I know we both were rocked by the ending. Yeah. And that Jeff Daniels ends up, you know, fucking hosing her at the end of the fucking movie. And, and is back on the plane, just full of guilt, you know, and like, you can't wait. What am I doing? You can't wait 30 minutes for her to go get her stuff together. You got to book it to Hollywood right now. You fucking asshole. Yeah, God, that's basically don't drop it. her a note. Nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's you know fucking uh, cab fare or Jeff, something. Jeff Daniels, Mia Farrow, 
Danny Aiello, all pretty much like grade A, like almost 10 out of 10 performances from all yeah. three of them. And it, th- that's what Woody Allen gets out of people, right? He writes these natural, natural stories, these screenplays that just, you just got to get two people in a room and he's good at that. Just walking down the street, he's good at that. And Purple Rose of Cairo takes this fascinating bit of people who love movies. Yes. Getting to experience one of their, one of the people they look up to, like living with them and then eventually being in it. And I, I thought a lot about, you know, the modern, like La La Land, right? A movie that's definitely flirting with Hollywood and flirting with all of the, the, the magic of it. And I, I kind of adore that. There's a little part of me, in the same way I feel about Back to the Future, there's just this magic around it. And Cairo has it. Purple Rose Cairo has it. And it's nice to have more and more context about that Chris Farley bit on Saturday Night Live <laughs> with Jeff Daniels. <laughs> it's always nice to have more perspective on what Chris Farley's saying. <laughs> Very true. And I do love getting to experience more Jeff Daniels. I think he's a fantastic actor. I, have not, yeah. I haven't seen enough of his work. And Woody Allen also is a guy who's extremely prolific. The guy's done a hundred films and yeah, there's his personal shit. There's the weird, you know, marrying his stepdaughter, weird shit, the possible rape. So we don't you know if you've listened to the film guys and podcast, if you've he- heard our Roman Polanski episode, you know that we separate the men from the work that we try our best to still enjoy these films and separate the personal shit of the guys who made them. Yeah. Because With, otherwise, without, without like it's there, we're not going to act like it's not there. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that Chinatown is. Oh, if you watch China, Chinatown, you're you're some evil person. Yeah, yeah, we're not endorsing what he did. Yeah, we're enjoying a product that he created. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we, yeah, we've had this conversation. It's something where it's like, okay, if you really knew everything about every artist, good luck enjoying art. If we found out Thomas Edison was a child molester, are we no longer allowed to use electricity? <laughs> light so it's you know i think there's a there's a line i think there's a time where you have to just say there is like you don't have to i don't know you get it yeah (laughs) the the best word is endorse endorse it endorse it yeah it's just you can hate the man but love the movie it's possible it's a fucking movie Yeah. yeah and purple rose of cairo i thought was very enjoyable i love the idea that the movies we watch are put on for our entertainment and they can get like mm-hmm. s- s- screwed up. Like if somebody like left the production, everybody's in the movie is just like, what do we do? Stuck, <laughs> stuck, stuck in limbo. That was such a cool idea. Well, I think one of my favorite, favorite moments of that part of the, is, is she's there for the fourth or fifth time. And that's the initial time when Jeff Daniels looks at her and you're like, Whoa, like, <laughs> He's, he's, he's like, not in like a Deadpool, he's breaking the fourth wall. Like, not in a Deadpool, like, hey, look at me. It's like a very, like, romantic way. And I I, I was just kind of, like, floored by it. And I, it, I don't know, it made me feel some kind of way, some kind of hope. And then just snatched it from me. And I, that's real. That's, that's honest. That's how, like, relationships and love and that's the way the world moves. Like people, people act on like, you know, impulse a lot and do the, make these decisions that are selfish. And you thought they were your friend. You thought they were this. And that's like that, that's relatable, right? For forever. Well, always will be. And so I think yeah. this, I think this movie has a time and place kind of in, in, in history, cinematic history, kind of forever. 
Well, Woody Allen's whole point was life is ultimately disappointing. And as shitty as that idea is, it's it's true. And, and movies are awesome. Because <laughs> at the end, she finally smiles again when she finally is just, I'm just going to watch a movie again. Damn. I was not expecting that to have the gut punch at the end of that. So, damn. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we both definitely liked that. I think you, you gave it an eight on your review. I did, yes. I would, I would agree. Solid, solid eight. It's a movie I definitely want to rewatch. Could be a movie we do uh, in the future on this show as as the base. Um, and if we talk about Woody Allen again, I'm sure it'll get brought up because it's uh, it's certainly one of the, one of my favorites that I've seen of his work so far. Sweet. I haven't seen enough of his work to label favorites yet, but yes. For context, for context, I think I like it a little better than Annie Hall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like Annie Hall. I know that's kind of seen, you know, it's the Oscar winner, the best picture winner. You could say you like it. There's no issues. No, I, no, I like it, but I, I just, Cairo's got, it's got that, that, like you said, that poignancy of damn life is usually disappointing and movies are awesome. Yeah. Movies won't leave you. Let me distract you. <laughs> damn. That's the, uh, cinema. Yeah. <laughs> it's real, man. It's yeah. It's incredible stuff. <laughs> Next, we have the official story. Uh, oh, boy. Film that won Best Foreign Film that year for Argentina. It's a story about a teacher uh, struggling to find out the real identity of her adopted daughter's real mother after finding out that she may have been stolen from political prisoners <laughs> during the Argentinian dictatorship. It's a very dark movie. Uh, very sad uh, another ending that's a fucking punch, <laughs> and um, very. It's I was not. I, I think it's interesting that it was chosen amongst this group because there's a lot of pessimism <laughs> in this group, and then there's Back to the Future. <laughs> it's four movies that are all about just completely oh, wow. shattered lives, yeah. and then Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, which is which is hilarious because that's kind of like that kind of describes you and I. I I love miserable movies and I do too. The the official story is for sure my favorite movie we watched this week. It it is uh oh man. You you compared it to what was it? Z and Philomena. That was that was that was pretty spot on and we got to cover Z, you know, a few weeks ago and we both enjoyed that a lot. The official story is like marriage story on fucking steroids. Good Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like marriage story, Kramer versus Kramer, a separation, a little bit of five easy pieces. Fuck. You know, it is like movies about troubled marriages <sighs> when there are kids involved are always going to be sad. But this thing was on a whole new level. This was like, if your husband was the guy who stole the baby, <laughs> Because that's the vibe I fucking got. And the, and the ending. Like, yeah. The ending, yeah. The, the ending is so brutal and such a punch to Dude, when your When he crushed senses. her fingers, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Obviously, spoiler alert, if, uh, I, I don't... It's on Criterion. 35 years. I don't think it's on anything <laughs> else, right? I, it, what, you know... HBO Max. This isn't... Yeah, this is a deep cut. I don't expect a lot of people to be too hot about the Argentinian film of the group we of what we're talking about. But damn, don't take it lightly. Yeah. This is a good movie. Yeah, I would, I would give it an eight as well. But I, I, it's so close to a nine, and I will definitely watch it again. I, I, I was, yeah, I was kind of like flabbergasted by 
you know, those stories need to be told, right? And I was flabbergasted by, you pointed out, the, the father works for the government, the, the mother's a teacher, and she's fucking naive most of the movie, and her students are the ones who have to kind of, the young students who go through life and have to tell her, like, our country's fucked. Like, yeah. do you realize what the government's doing? Do you realize the government kidnaps children and sells them to rich people? Do you realize this? And you're one of them? Do you realize this? And she doesn't want to confront it because she's a rich person. And we have those kind of people in every culture because of currency and because of capitalism and all these things. And this movie wraps all these things up. And then in the ending is like, sorry, you fucking watch this for two hours. That's on you. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I like, for whatever reason, love that feeling. I love the feeling of actually being like st- stirred, like stirred at the core where my stomach almost kind of hurt. I think what it comes down to for me, and this is just as an outsider looking in, I think you really appreciate humanistic cinema. I think you like stories yeah, about sure. real people. For, for oh, oh, wait, oh, yeah. And you know, Five Easy Pieces, right, was a great yeah. example of like, that's such a big thing coming into American cinema, independent, yeah. and doing these just normal stories. And in real life, that kind of shit in that kind of environment happens. Ex- exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, and that's kind of why... For context, comparing it to Marriage Story, a film that was very popular last year that is about that is about relationship and finding out stuff about the other person while there's a there's a child involved. And this one's I say it's on steroids because this child is adopted illegally. And she's five, Gabby? She's five? five yeah. And this little girl's the cutest, cutest little thing and when, yeah, I don't and her know. father's a goddamn monster. Yeah, and I really, like, I really, if we've gone too far talking about it, I, I, I just hope, I hope someone listening watches it. I really do. Yeah. I think it's one of those movies, like, the right person catches it. They could be like, whoa, storytelling. And I <laughs> never would have watched this if we hadn't decided to do this. Exactly. And when we, when we decided to do the screenplay group, I was like, ooh, an Argentinian movie. Like, that, that's kind of like a, that's different. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into fucking brazil brazil uh, um another movie that is hopeless god damn and s- such a sad ending and i can't wait to watch it again because i think this movie and you can speak to it now is i think it's very impactful on a second watch yes this was my second watch this movie is monty python's 1984 and it's just the most fucked up society you can imagine where if the government makes a mistake they will literally arrest and execute anybody who knows about it because they need to be infallible or else it doesn't work. And Jonathan Price is the poor son of a bitch who notices the mistake and has his entire life taken away from him because of that. His best friend literally lobotomizes him. It's the most fucked up shit. But it's so funny because it's Terry Gilliam and it's Jonathan Price and it's Michael Palin and it's Robert De Niro and it's just such a well-done film. Man, It's so weird, but it's so good. And the second viewing is quintessential. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, G- Gilliam does that. He does that. Yeah. yeah. Well, he likes to fuck with. I mean, his his sets are a dream. I would kill <laughs> to to be on one of his sets. Like it, it is glorious. The colors he's using, the vibrancy, the attention to detail of every little thing, and his his ability to to just he he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care what people think. The camera is going to move in a in a weird fashion, and I, like I buy in, I buy in. I I definitely need to see it again. Um, but I I highly recommend it. I'd give it an eight. I'd give it an eight off that first viewing where I there were times where I was a little confused. I mean, I, I gathered 
especially at the ending. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh yeah. The first viewing is really confusing. Yes. And the ending, the ending explains a bit and I went back and read a little and I was like, Oh, okay. But I can't wait to watch it again. Knowing all that stuff. They had to do a separate ending for the Americans where it's happy because we were not willing to accept such a hopeless ending. So Brazil, uh, dystopian, um, dystopian film and you have jonathan price spectacular performance. i love jonathan price yeah right and he's great it's so cool that he's still like just so relevant now he just so got cool. an oscar nomination yeah, last year exactly for he'll, two popes he'll, he'll he'll stay around uh and he's you know in this world again terry gilliam sets up these just incredible you know the production design the sets it's all incredible and he's setting up this character jonathan price to be in this world where you really won't know if anything really is happening or if it's a dream world yeah and as you as you find out, you're like, oh my god, this is like how the society works. These like shitty machines, weird. weird. Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro, for him to do this and at this point in his career is so cool, and I respect <laughs> the hell out of it because he clearly read the script and was like, fuck yeah, like <laughs> that sounds wacky, you know? And I, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah, Harry Tuttle. Like Tuttle, yeah. yeah. Call me. What does he say? Call me Tuttle, yeah. Or does he say his name's Ar- his name's Archibald Tuttle? But yeah. he's like, my friends call me Harry. Yeah, <laughs> he's the guy the government's on the hunt for because he's yes. illegally servicing heat machines. <laughs> his 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 outfit. I can't even just Google it. I can't describe it. His outfit is awesome. <laughs> it's hilarious. He looks like a fucking mole, like just <laughs> running around. It reminded me a lot of Delicate uh, Delicatessen, and I know that movie has influenced Gill- Gilliam a lot with the the production design, how wacky and dream like it is uh, it's awesome it's fantastic the whole thing starts because a fly falls in the yeah. typing machine and accidentally misprints the name tuttle to buttle yeah <laughs> and that just causes a snowball effect that fucks up jonathan price's whole life it's wild and unforgivable and it's so hopeless but gilliam makes it just funny enough so you don't hate yourself <laughs> uh, it's extremely british it's extremely british you, you the dry humor and it's Hammering it away, hammering it away. I loved when Bob Hoskins shows up to service the place and De Niro's in there with a gun and Price is like, did you bring the appropriate paperwork? And Hoskins like, how dare you? No, I didn't, but I fucking will. And he just takes (laughs) off and then shows up later with the paperwork and it's completely dismantled his house. (laughs) Like now it's personal. (laughs) So good. Goddamn, I love Bob Hoskins. Me too, me too. Just seeing him, oh God. I definitely recommend that one. It, It is a... One of those one of those weird gems from the eighties that I, I just haven't heard a lot about. And when I was telling people about it, like, oh, I'm gonna watch Brazil for this week and what? <laughs> who made that? And you're like Terry Gilliam, the guy who made Fear and Loathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have to tell my buddies, because that's how they know that's how they know Terry. They don't they don't know him like we know him, you know. Uh, <laughs> with uh Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah. The American Python. <laughs> oh man. It's yeah, it's a weird a weird movie but it is a great watch if you are ready for that kind of thing because it it's a movie you kind of have to prepare yourself for yeah for sure it's not <laughs> just something you throw on and it, it is like it's like two two hours and 15 minutes it's not like a yeah it's not a little walk in the park no 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 and i believe that takes us to our winner of the night witness which is the worst movie of this group mm, that's tough to call because i like them all i like it but I, I i think all the other ones are like good witness is good but i i agree it is dull at times yeah which makes it interesting that it won screenplay right oh it should not have won at all no but it 
it is a good movie. It's Harrison Ford's only Oscar nomination in his career, which is um, so bizarre. Directed by Peter Weir, one of my favorite filmmakers who gave us Dead Poet Society and The Truman Show. And uh, it's a movie about a cop who is sent to Amish country to protect a young boy who's a witness to a murder. And just how deep this murder goes, it's the whole, like the whole fucking police department's in on it. And all in Amish country, uh, John Book, as he's known, learns to appreciate this culture, falls in love with the boy's mother, Rachel, but their worlds are way too separate. They'll never work. And I do like yes. that they did that. They didn't just make yes. it like, you know, she goes and lives with him or he stays in Amish country. Yeah. That's not how it would go down. Exactly. She's committed to her culture and he's a cop. It would never work. But it does have some lulls. That that movie does follow, you know, it, it is pretty dull at times. It drags a bit. and uh, But but it is it is always nice to watch. I mean, Harrison Ford in the 80s is, is about as big as it can get oh yeah for a for us for like a movie star and this was his first leading man role that was not a sci-fi fantasy film because at the time he was pretty much just a niche guy you know he'd done star wars indiana jones and blade runner so nobody really knew if he could tackle heavy material yes so this was the film that showed everybody that harrison ford was not a one-trick pony he could do whatever he like he wanted to do yeah and he is he is great in this yeah he's he's wonderful he is, and that's that's worth it. And I don't, yeah, I don't think it doesn't belong, but winning, yeah, it shouldn't have won. No, Back to the Future should have won. <laughs> but that's just, you know, my... I'd say the official story, <laughs> but Back to the Future makes the most sense as far as, hey, this is applicable to pretty much everybody. It's such the a great story. story. Come on, like, some people just simply don't want to digest that. Which yeah. sucks, but that's just the case. It did win foreign film, so official yes. story did walk home with something. Yes, and, and and you know, obviously that's a movie that I would be open to doing one day for 1985, uh, and just highlighting the the foreign language films. Oh yeah, we certainly will be doing that a lot in the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back to the Future took home one award, has an Oscar, a uh, IMDb score of 8.5, Rotten Tomato score of 96%, grossed. 388 million on a budget of 19 million. It was a huge, huge hit. Spawned two sequels, an animated series, and a theme park ride. <laughs> Unbelievable. Which I was unable to go to. I went to Universal Studios the year after they closed the Back to the Future ride. I was so upset. Jeez. It is now the Simpsons ride. <laughs> hey, I like the Simpsons too, but yeah, that sucks. <laughs> but I did get to, uh, they have the DeLorean and the time train from part three on display there, and I got to touch them. Oh, there you go. And that was a surreal moment. <laughs> was that one of those? Thi- was that one of those things where you're like, I'm not going to wash my hand for a few days? <laughs> no, but I did have a moment of like, I am touching history. <laughs> it was amazing to me. It felt weird. <laughs> me and Doc are one. Yeah. <laughs> like I could see the flux capacitor yeah. with my own eyes. I was flexing. <laughs> Don't you? Did you get like super fucking tense when the car just stopped? Of course. At the clock tower scene of where he's course. just like, no, not this time. No. The fucking no. DeLorean used to just do that. It would just cut out. It was yeah. such a shitty car. Just a piece of shit. It was such that's a terrible just, that's car. That's just how it is. American engineering right there. <laughs> I make the American... Jesus. I love that. <laughs> you can thank this movie for DeLorean sales to this day. <laughs> yes. Nobody wanted a fucking DeLorean until this movie came out. Then everybody wanted a DeLorean. Yeah, so now, it, yeah, now it's like a possession yeah if i ever you know if i had disposable income like that i would absolutely own a delorean i would learn to drive stick just so i could drive a delorean hell yeah and i would never drive it under under 90 
<laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> Just yeah. in case. I got the good one. <laughs> Just in case. Oh, boy. 88. Oh, beautiful. Back to the future. Okay. How are we going to do this? Yeah, we, you know, we have the categories, and that's that's how we're going to keep it moving. And I, I, I like the four we have. It, it's clean. Um, it leaves potential for multiple... <laughs> multiple nominations from one of us and uh you know this movie is special it's your favorite movie of all time so we're going to be fairly lenient and i think it's <laughs> I, I think it only makes sense that i would start so you can finish uh and that you know that would be best line would be the, the first one so i'll give you mine and um it involves it involves our boy christopher lloyd yes uh, oh my god they found me <laughs> i don't know how but they found me run for it more <laughs> <laughs> run for Morty. I almost said Morty, just like Rick and Morty. I really did. I do get them confused. Just the way they look is like, oh, this is too similar. That's, a, um, that's intentional. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> the that that line, along with everything that's happening in that moment, where it it doesn't know what genre it is, which is the most beautiful thing about it, and it doesn't care. And him saying that, like, it doesn't. He doesn't care. Christopher Lloyd in those moments does not care what genre it is. It's Back to the Future, <laughs> and sure you could pick. Uh, sure I could pick. There's a lot of lines you can pick from this movie, but I was trying to find what wraps it up for me, and I feel like that wrapped it up mainly in that moment and Christopher Lloyd's face and how fucking bought in he is. Oh yeah, and that's why I chose it. And I'm really curious to hear. Did you choose one or, or I have you, three? You have three. I have three. Let's let's fucking hear them. Do you have them ranked? Uh, not really. Uh, they're just, well, just three favorites, three favorites. Let's hear them. Um, well, prior to, I want to talk a bit about that scene. Yeah, yeah of course, um, of course. It's very much out of nowhere. Suddenly a completely different movie. Yeah. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. These terrorists show up out of nowhere and kill doc for stealing their plutonium and ripping them off. And like at the end of the movie, the terrorists crash into the photo bot, like photo booth box, but they're not dead. Like they're part of a cell. Yeah. Like they're going to find out about Marty. They're going to kill his entire family. Like, this isn't over. <laughs> exactly. And I just, I think about that a lot when I see this movie. For sure. <laughs> so, my first favorite line comes from Mr. Biff Tannen. <laughs> oh, yes. The best bully in movie history. The most, like, just such a perfect asshole. And this is, um, what's that actor's name? Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. This is the coach from Freaks and Geeks. For all, really? all, all you Freaks and Geeks fans. Have you ever seen that show? No, I have not. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You're going to be in heaven yeah yeah he's he's the uh like the uh pe coach yeah because he hasn't played dodgeball all the time yeah also um hank haywood for you legend of tomorrow fans out there oh there you go there you go <laughs> and he also did a stand-up special uh in of like 10 years ago um and he did a song about all the questions he gets asked about back to the future oh god <laughs> and it's, he was actually really really funny my aunt's friend met uh ran into him at the mall once and took a picture. And apparently he's super nice. Yeah, that's great. Tom Wilson. He's not like Biff. No. And in fact, he really hates when people call him Biff. Because Biff's such a prick. But my line comes from... It's one of the most famous lines of the movie. And he says it in all three. But my favorite bit is in part two. And I'll get to that. Um, uh, Biff is assaulting Lorraine openly in the cafeteria. Nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah. Marty walks up to him and is like, Hey, get your meat hooks. And he's like oh shit, this guy's eight feet tall, <laughs> backs off, and Biff's like, are you kidding me? Who the fuck do you think you are? And picks a fight, and says he's gonna cut Marty a break, and he says, quote, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? 
Such an idiot. Obviously, the real phrase that makes sense is make like a tree and leave. And but, leave, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and get out of here. <laughs> in part two, Biff says that to his older self, and older <laughs> Biff punches him in the head and goes, it's leave, you idiot. <laughs> leave, like... <laughs> Trees, <laughs> just like pff, on the back of the head. It's such a great slap, but that was one of my favorites because it just showed. I mean, it, it's been. <laughs> I don't. Some people might not know the origins. I think that's good that you picked that one because that that is it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Of people making that joke. Yeah. <laughs> my second one comes from uh, at the dance after uh, Biff's goons lock Marty in the back of Marvin Barry's car. And they come out and they're like, hey, what the hell are you doing in my car? And they throw out a racial slur. Yes. And then they all come out and they're like, who are you calling you know, yeah. that, Peckerwood? Yeah, Peckerwood. And the guy says, whoa, look, man, I don't want to mess with no reefer addicts, okay? <laughs> and then they chase him down. I love that line so much. Oh, man, I don't want to mess around with any reefer addicts. Yeah, this is the 50s, yeah. These people are scared of, like, beatniks and, and black yeah. people because they smoke weed yeah i love that hilarious <laughs> look guys i don't want to i i i laugh pretty hard on that yeah <laughs> the, the dork's good the life vest one is pretty great too <laughs> so funny it's beautiful the time thing yeah another one i didn't put here but i love is when marty gets uh knocked he gets he gets hit by the car and <laughs> lorraine's dad yells stella another one of these damn kids jumped in front of my car how many kids does this guy run over <laughs> Another one. Like, this is like the fourth or fifth time. <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> and what is it called? The Leon Estates? Is that the... Lion the, Estates, Lion yeah. Lion Estates, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. So my all-time favorite line is... I guess they were kind of ranked. Um, it's when Marty first shows up in 55 and crashes into the Peabody farm. Mm-hmm. And they are immediately... No, they immediately assume Marty's an alien. <laughs> I love that. And they freak the fuck out. Well, it doesn't help the the fucking, the radiation suit. Oh, no, yeah. But the kid, like, as Peabody starts shooting him with a shotgun, the kid goes, he's already mutated into human form. And (laughs) Peabody yells, my favorite line of the movie, take that, you mutated son of a bitch. (laughs) And shoots him again. Oh, it's these people that have obviously seen too many movies in the 80s, you know, or in uh, in the 50s, and they have no idea what they're talking about. You mutated son of, and then mutated too quick. Yeah, their reference is a few Hitchcock movies. Yeah, yeah. and then Marty runs over one of the guy's pine trees, and he's like, "You space bastard! You killed my pine!" And I don't know if you noticed this, but at the end of the movie, when Marty goes back, Twin Pines Mall is now called Lone Pine Mall because Marty killed one of the pine trees. That's I like that. That's a nice touch. That attention to detail is throughout the franchise. It's beautiful. That's that's a nice touch. I love that. God damn! What a great group. I'm sure there's some that you uh you, you could probably make a, a top twenty. I could easily. List. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to best music moment though. Mm. And uh, you know we talked about this is some of the Oscar glory that it did get a nomination for for music, but I'm not gonna choose Power of Love or or any of those typical ones. I actually found the uh, light bit. Of, of music playing when he first gets to the 50s. Oh, good choice. Mr. Seven, <laughs> bring, bring me a dream. dream. I, thought that was, I thought that was wonderful because <laughs> that attention to detail of knowing what would be playing on the radio in 1955, you know, that's important. That's important as the movie ages. 
for people to really believe it, for it to to age well. And it does. It <laughs> yeah. does. It does. You feel like you're in the fifties, you know, ice cream pala and just the way the town looks. It's like, oh man, I I love those those little little details, and I already love that song. It's really creepy if if you look at it a certain way. And uh, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was uh, another brilliant touch. That was a, that's a great choice. Well done. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> Mr. Sandman was an excellent choice to show his arrival into a completely new world. Ex- exactly, and those are the cues, right? Those are the cues that give you, oh, we're we're really here. And for him, if he's really paying attention, he he's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this music's not popular in 1985. <laughs> it took another 40 years for the, that song to get popular. <laughs> I love how Marty's is kind of like a little, you know, a little uh, di- like disconcerted, kind of like uh, disoriented. That's the word. Yeah. Word. Just like, did this, did this really happen? <laughs> Am I really in the 50s? Yeah. He no, goes no, to the no, cafe no, 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 no. and he tries to get a tab and the guy's like, I can't give you a tab unless you order something. I love that. <laughs> the little the, di- the the little differences you know over three decades well just the lion estate so it's like the future of tomorrow right? yeah it's not even built yet yeah wild incredible <laughs> and then when he when he's biking at the beginning or biking skateboarding at the beginning of the film i believe when he goes into lion estate it's just trashed oh yeah and looks like this you know yeah just run down that's that's a rough 30 years if you got to that in 30 years damn well in the i don't want to see it now in the grand scheme of things like we always see the town square in a different light in all three movies because we get to see you know 80s town square in this 150s town square part two we get to see 2015 town mm-hmm. square and alternate evil 1985 town square and then in part three we get to see old west town square and it's always different but it's always a little bit the same because like lou's cafe in the 50s is lou's gym in the 80s it's yeah. cafe 80s in 2015 and it's lou's tavern in the old west and i just love that continuing thread of all three of these movies, you can tell the same people sure. were behind it. The same people loved it. They had, you know, something they were building. That continuity. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And, and those those cues, those cues are what it's all about. Of, of like you said, bringing you into the same city without just like hitting you in the face with it. It's touches. Yeah, it is nice. My favorite mu- music moment is pretty pretty on the nose, pretty expected, but it's when Marty plays Johnny Be Good at the dance. Totally fair. It's it's fantastic. It's such a great scene. It's introducing rock and roll to these kids. I love when yes. Marvin Berry calls his cousin Chuck and is like, you you know that sound you've been looking for? <laughs> it's such a great touch. <laughs> that sound you've been looking for? And then when he start, when Marty goes a little too crazy, starts breaking into some heavy metal riffs, yes, yes. and everyone's just looking at him like, what's what wrong with you? Hell? And we get that epic line, you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. Oh, beautiful. But your kids are going to love it. So Michael J. Fox is playing the guitar in that scene, but he is not singing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. At least he's playing the guitar. And he did do all his skateboard work himself, too. I I have read that, which is great. And, uh, you know, obviously he's uh, a guy who can play a little bit of basketball, too. So he's... (laughs) I have not seen Teen Wolf yet. He's an athlete. But I do want to. You will one day, of course. I know. (laughs) We'll get it from the book or uh, over on Filmgasm or, you know, whatever it may be. (laughs) That's great. Well... Those are I I like that. I kind of describe like your adoration for the film. You can't deny the Johnny B. Good moment. Oh, it's beautiful. And I was trying to find us, <laughs> but Alan Silvestri's score is so I, incredible. Oh my god the the chase <sighs> at the beginning of the film. Yeah, best performance. <laughs> I, uh, I, I for for me and you you know how big of a fan I am of Christopher Lloyd. I, <laughs> yeah, it's not very difficult for me to choose him to choose Doc. Uh, 
the 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 ten year jaunt that he had in between one for the cuckoo's nest uh, as sometimes my favorite character of that whole book and movie uh, peculiar <laughs> what does this board mean ha 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 I love him I really do love him he understands it he understands what we weirdos want out of character actors he knows what we want that is true and uh, the guy you know fascinating if you look on his IMDB like didn't click until he was like in his late 30s in his, into his 40s into his 50s but this film, like this role, is one of those that will live on for e- eternity. It, it's kind of cemented in time, for, kind of forever. I also picked Christopher Lloyd. Yes. Doc Brown is one of the greatest movie characters of all time. He's, he's weird, he's eccentric, he's bizarre, but his heart is always in the right place. And he loves Marty like a son. And I love their relationship. It's so it's so great. Thirty year, you know, Marty goes thirty years in the past, and that doc is willing to do anything it takes to get him home. He's such a great character, and ah, oh, got it. And his journey throughout all three films is beautiful. Oh, oh, and he's got the he's got the mystery of what else has this guy done? You know, why is he so confident in these moments? Like, what kind of life have you lived? You know, <laughs> and it just makes you wonder, right? He's one of those guys. He, you you point out that. He very well may be, you know, one of the greatest, like, American characters of all time to hit the big screen, right? He's he's timeless. He's affecting cartoons now. He's the quintessential mad scientist. Yeah. And he and he's great. And he's great. And uh, that, 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 that leads me perfectly into my best scene, my favorite scene, best scene, all the above, uh, is, the, is when he gets shot. <sighs> is the music... Uh, uh, starts kind of kicking into gear, and there's Libyan terrorist in a pickup truck. Mm, no, VW van. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is a van. I just he's up. He's up on the top, which was silly. And then he, you know, loses a uh, loses uh, ammo. Yep. Which is funny. Gun jams. Go, go. <laughs> uh, that part is is epic. Oh yeah, he he has the four by four truck at the end. Duh. Yeah. Uh, that truck's kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. It is a nice truck. <laughs> it's a nice little nice black truck. That, that scene, when he gets shot and you think he's dead. And I think about, you know, the first time you watch this and for anyone who does get to experience this for the first time, this devastating blow. But but is the wheel of the movie. Is the wheel of the movie of... It's forcing uh, Marty, to, Marty McFly to make decisions and to start doing stuff. And it was breathtaking. It's like you point out, it's scary. These terrorists are just out of nowhere because he stole plutonium. Fuck. Yeah. You can't steal plutonium, bro. Can't do that shit. And it, it's amazing because we have no idea how he actually got this plutonium. (laughs) Like, well, I would love to see that on camera, but no, I love that. We're just brought here into this moment with doc. Just like, ah, like, and that's when he's like, Oh shit. You know, they're here. Like, I don't know how, but they're here. (laughs) And all that whole bit to me is the best part of the movie. It's, it's early, sure, but it's the best part of the movie, and it gets it going. It really moves it into this, into this high gear where you're like, "Oh my god, don't leave here!" You know, <laughs> don't leave here. And it certainly gets back to there at a couple, a couple points. I just, I adore that that like five to ten minute stretch of when they initially are when Marty finds out. With oh my god, you have a time machine? You know <laughs> that whole you know you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Like that part is epic, leading up into him getting shot. 
And then Marty deciding, I got to do something. And then he goes to 1955. Well, in that moment. He, That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. In That's that moment, like, script. he's not thinking of the DeLorean as a time machine. He's no. thinking this is a car yeah. and I need to get the fuck out of and here. And then he starts going fast. And he ends up going 90 and run. Yeah. yeah. And of course, we know if you get to up to 88, some serious shit's going to go down. So in that moment, though, in that scene. I think Michael J. Fox does his best work in that scene where he has to like, there's a moment there where Marty accepts death and he closes his eyes and is like, this is it. Like he's in war. Yeah. Yeah. Like, fuck man. Yeah. He's 17. (laughs) God damn. So yeah, to me, it's to me, it's like epic. It's like an epic moment. I'm not saying the movie drags. I'm not saying that at all, but I don't think it meets and It's not trying to, it doesn't need to, it already did it. I just don't think it meets that like, whoa, like that you get out of that moment. And then with the, the car, when it actually goes, when he's actually time traveling, boom, and the fire. <laughs> yeah, damn, that shit's cool. <laughs> My favorite thing about this movie is how well Zemeckis and Gale set everything up. Look, it looks awesome. Well, in the beginning, you see the news report of a case of missing plutonium that has been stolen. And then... The skateboard, the skateboard hitting the thing. Later on, you you find out. You know, Strickland talks about Marty's father being a slacker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I scream is that he, at people. Is he always bald? Yeah. I scream that at people all the time. Like people slacker. I know, just like slacker. It's such a weird insult. <laughs> Another one of my favorite movies of all time, Slacker. And then later, you know, we we hear about Marty's parents' first meeting from just yes. natural conversation. Doc and the Libyans. It all just comes out naturally yeah. and makes has great payoff later on in the movie. It's yeah. so smart. 100%. Such a smartly written screenplay. So, did you just have the one? That's, I, I, stuck, with, I stuck with one. I have three, again. No, go for <laughs> it. I, I, I anticipated it. My first scene is a tribute to Mr. Eddie Van Halen, who passed Jeez, away yeah, last man. week due yeah. to uh, throat cancer. He p- performed a special bit of music for when Marty disguises himself as, quote, Darth Vader mm-hmm. to blackmail and threaten his father into asking Lorraine out to the dance. Yeah. He puts an Eddie, a Van Halen tape into a, into the Walkman puts headphones on George and blasts it like it's a torture device and it's brilliant. And George is terrified. <laughs> and so good. Marty is wearing the radiation suit, introduces himself as Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. It's, it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> planet Vulcan. <laughs> uh. And it would, you know, heavy metal to somebody in the fifties sounds like, Torture. It makes yes. sense. It's perfect. Yes. <laughs> I do not want to go through that. Oh, so rest in peace, Mr. Van Halen, and thank you for that little contribution to this movie. Yeah. Again, the touches. The touches. And I always think that sci-fi nerd George McFly is going to go see Star Wars in 1977. Oh, my God. And when he hears the name Darth Vader, he's going to have a full-blown PTSD panic attack. Yes. <laughs> so I think about that a lot, too. <laughs> Just, ah, I asked her out. I promise. Shit. It's <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> Don't take me to Vulcan. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you picked up on the, the, the novel that he wrote at the end is his story, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, it took 20 years for me to make that connection. <laughs> I don't, I know. There's a lot going on. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Um, My second scene is a scene that still just, Mm, makes me so happy is when George finally beats the fuck out of Biff. Just knocks him out with one punch. The hit, yeah. It's the, such a great scene. The legendary punch when he's like fucking raping her. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. About to. He, mm-hmm. He's trying to. He's obviously He's trying. going to. And yeah, he, for sure. And he's like, 
the and that commitment from him to be like leave and walk away and 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 he's like no like yeah he's like no get your fucking hands off of her you know and that's that like yeah being a dad of a girl and like just fucking caring about humans that if that shit doesn't mm, yeah i know right get your heart going and want you to like yeah like beat the fucking shit out of him (laughs) that whole bit from george opening the door and realizing oh shit it's biff and he's just like oh he has that deflation but then he sees what's happening, yeah, and he knows he it gives it gives him enough. He can't walk away from this. He yeah. knows that she's gonna she might die tonight if he yeah. doesn't walk. Which away. Which is worth getting beat up. Yeah, it's worth getting beat up if a girl can 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 escape a horrible situation. This whole movie is entirely about confidence. Everybody for sure. Doc's so- confidence to build build something that works. Marty's confidence to embrace who he is and play the you know play the school band. But George's yeah. confidence to ask Lorraine out and be his own man. It's all about confidence. Yeah. And to have those cathartic moments of just, fuck it, I'm taking the leap. It's so satisfying yeah. and it feels so good. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it does. Participating, being a part of the, being a part of the show, like joining in, helping. And then later on when the redhead kid tries to steal Lorraine and George's like, excuse me, and just I knocks love, his ass down. I love that part, yeah. That kid? Unbutton it. Yeah. That kid was in the burbs. Oh yeah, Hans! Oh my God! Yeah, that makes yeah, yeah, yeah. That hey, Pinocchio! Three years. Where later. are you going? Three years later. God, the Burbs. Oh, ah, uh, bur- perfect. A filmgasm classic. We love the Burbs. We do. I'm 1989. We love the Burbs. Gem. <laughs> but yeah, that moment from just there, from George opening the car door to the kiss is perfect. But it's not my favorite scene. That's my buildup. Oh boy. My all-time favorite scene, and this will never change, it may be my favorite movie scene of all time, is the final climax at the clock tower. <laughs> is yeah, everything that goes into Marty finally getting back to the future. Because everything goes wrong. And there's so many little moments that could have get fucked up, yes. and it would have ruined everything. But he just stays positive. But Doc pulls it off, and that like cheerful running through the streets, and he's like, it worked! Yeah. It's so satisfying. Yeah. Well, yeah, when... when- a person that deserves, and a couple people in this case, deserve to get rewarded, get rewarded. Ah, uh, it's satisfying. Especially in this way. That, that I, I, We need to get you a giant-ass poster of him hanging off the clock tower. <laughs> you just need, like, a wall size, like, <laughs> 10 feet by 10 feet. <laughs> I have owned so many Back to the Future Life posters. <laughs> oh, Goddamn. Of Doc hanging off. The, yeah, it, it's a brilliant scene. I, I considered choosing it. For sure. I figured you'd have that. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing scene. Oh, fantastic. Back to the Future. Amazing film. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what you're doing with your life. But yeah, get off your ass and do your Get your shit together. Or, it's on Netflix right or now. get on your ass and watch <laughs> it, yeah. Well, and, and you know, and know that we're not done with this one. We're going to revisit two and three, maybe on Filmgasm, or we'll do them in some fashion uh, because it's clearly very important. Here at Filmgasm and here for our creator, uh, Connor. So, Woo! Uh, uh, I had an awesome time and I... This felt good. <laughs> I'm sure. And, you know, when you really, really boil it down, it, it sounds like we were both positively impacted by our most recent watch of it. And what the fuck more could you ask from cinema? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. That's what it's all about. We learned that from the Purple Rose of Cairo. Movies are escapism. Movies make you feel good. Movies make you embrace storytelling. And... You can't ask for more than that from this film. It's just, it's perfect. 100%. And even in the case of a movie like The Official Story, that is tough. Those movies can make you feel good too in the way that it it makes you feel 
good in your own skin of I'm learning. Yeah. I'm digesting a story and I'm, I'm trying to get some perspective. And sometimes that's, that's, uh, that's what needs to be done with, with movies. Yeah. And what's great about Back to the Future is it, it does all those things. <laughs> makes you feel good. Teaches you some shit. Makes you laugh. Uses the word shit really well. <laughs> <laughs> Always hold on to that. And it has a killer soundtrack. Uh, killer score. All these things, right? These are things we think of when we think of American cinema. And it, it, it hits on all cylinders. And for that reason, it's a classic. Uh, I, I know you, obviously, you give it a 10 out of 10. It's hard to, it's one of those that you're like, how do you even rate it? Yeah. It's one of those. <laughs> but but for, for what it's worth, I, I give it a solid eight and I will obviously revisit it. And I, I'm hyped to watch the second and third one. Like, I'll probably watch them just in my own time because I don't want to wait yeah, me too. for the show to to do that for me. <laughs> and again, it's been a while since I've seen all three of them you know, together. So, uh, the eighties, Jesus Christ. I can't wait till we've, you know, revisit the eighties again on this show. Um, uh, it's always gonna be fun when we're in this decade. It's, it's always gonna be fun. It's my jam. And with that, let's talk about what happened this week in film. Yes, sir. Um, get this, uh, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins are going to be making a Cleopatra film. Oh, wow. And a lot of people are pissed because Gal Gadot is white. Yes. Not realizing she's actually Israeli, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe cut her some slack. Yeah. yeah. And uh Every goddamn break. Yeah. I'm excited. I have not seen the original Cleo well, not the original, but like the second Cleopatra with Liz Taylor and Dick Burton. But, you know, I'm learning more about Dick Burton. Like comfortable enough that I can call him Dick. Just like Scrooged. <laughs> yeah. Well, well over on film guys and we we call Stephen King Steve, so We've gotten way too comfortable with just talking about all these people. Every time I watch Scrooge, like anytime I watch something with Richard Burton, I just think of that scene in Scrooge where Herman, the homeless guy, walks up to Bill Murray, thinks he's Richard Burton, and just like, hi, Dick. <laughs> it's like, after Exorcist 2, I thought we had something special. So, hey, Dick. <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, they are finally ramping up production on the Mad Max Fury Road prequel Furiosa. Okay. They cast Anya Taylor-Joy as a young Furiosa, and Chris Hemsworth and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II have joined the cast. Cool. Uh, George Miller is behind it. Yeah. So here's yeah. hoping this will be pretty cool. Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. That's a movie that has aged very well. Oh, my past, God. Uh, it's five years old now only, and it just... Fury Road is a fucking adventure. <laughs> and, yeah, a movie that... Uh, we say this a lot, but could just fit on either podcast so well. Oh yeah, my favorite part about that that Oscars was seeing all those like crazy Aussies yes. show up to accept their technical awards with like mm. jean jackets and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking badasses! Yeah. Oh boy, um, they have dropped the first trailer for Monster Hunter, a Paul W. S. Anderson production with Mila Jovovich. Starring based on the popular video game, and I have not watched the trailer because I don't really care. Yeah. But, you know, I have to tell you about it. <laughs> and that is the extent of my involvement in Monster Hunter. <laughs> yeah, no comment. Uh, MGM has announced they're developing a biopic on legendary Rat Pack musician Sammy Davis Jr. So that could be very interesting. Okay. I wonder how they're going to cover that. Talk about the whole Rat Pack or just Sammy, because I know that Sinatra's estate will not let them make a legit movie about him because they still refuse to admit his mob involvement, even though we all fucking know. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> it's not like his legacy is going to be tainted. We all think that already anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then finally, and this, I, sorry to end on a sad note, but Margaret Noland has died at 76. She's known as the gold-painted model in the title sequence of Goldfinger. 
and she also played the uh, clearly for me the most uh mis- misogynist scene in bond history uh <laughs> the character of dink the girl giving bond a massage at the beginning of goldfinger and then when lighter shows up bond tells dink to go away because it's man talk time and slaps her ass on the way out the most heavily misogynistic scene in the entire franchise but oh my god <laughs> yeah rest in peace margaret nolan goddamn margaret simpler times when bond could just rape lesbians and get away with it yeah yeah simpler times when uh robin williams could make fun of all demographics at the oscars have you seen goldfinger lately no because there is a scene where he literally like rapes pussy galore into being straight that that sentence I know. <laughs> the name alone should yeah. tip you off that this is not... Into being straight. This is yeah. not the most progressive film. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to do Goldfinger at some point. There's a lot to unpack with that yeah. movie. A lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a heavy one. <laughs> Jesus, man. Good Lord. Next week will be heavy. <laughs> on this show, we're doing. A, we're going back to the 50s. Uh, the, the only other time we've done that on this show is, is on the waterfront. We're going back to the 50s for 12 Angry Men. All right. 1957 is up for a heap of awards. We're going to be focusing on the Best Picture winners, so I'll go ahead and read those off now. Uh, that would be Witness for the Prosecution, Sayonara, Peyton Place, 12 Angry Men, and the winner uh, was The Bridge on the River Kwai. Woo! So we're going to try our best to watch as many of those as we can. I guarantee we'll get 12 Angry Men and The Bridge. Uh, the others, we'll see what we can do, and we'll come back next week and... Uh, have some fun with a movie that uh, an era that we have not talked a lot about. Yeah. And a movie that is certainly looked at as um, a powerhouse male movie. Yeah. One with of the, some yeah. just heavy ass performances and uh, uh, excited to talk about Fonda and, and, and company. I'm a excited. true classic one. I have not seen yet. Very excited to, um, I think this is our first courtroom drama. Yeah. And, and first Sydney. Yeah. 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 Sydney Lumet. So we're, we're tackling a big time director here doing courtroom drama. Obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, maybe you watch trial of the Chicago seven courtroom dramas are, Oh, they're great. They're great. And they do, <laughs> they do really well with the Oscars, uh, if, if they're made correctly. And so, yeah, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have some fun with this one next week. Come on back. Uh, and it's just going to keep getting, getting better and better. Absolutely. What are, we, what are we doing on Filmgasm this week? This week we have Fright Night oh. for Wednesday. Your, what are your favorite, your favorite vampire movie? 85. It's a good year, folks. <laughs> and um, that was, yeah, we planned that one. That's not from the book. It's a, uh, we wanted to do some special ones for October. Yeah. And Fright Night came up and it's going to be just a blast getting to talk about that one too. Yeah, it's on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace. Mm-hmm.